As we drove home, the exhaustion set in. I had never been so tired or thankful for a shower in my life. Here I was, yet again, smashing assumptions I had had of myself. What got me there was the commitment to do them. I gave myself a target and made sure I hit the mark. I've intentionally made this title movement not working out because the idea of a workout conjures a specific image for most people. By pulling back and making this about movement, it allows for a lower watermark for people to approach this from whatever level they feel comfortable. Also, it should be noted that I do not have any credentials as a trainer of any kind. All of my knowledge has been acquired by independent learning that I've applied for myself. I will share some of my training techniques that I broadly focus on, but if you're looking for a specific kind of movement program, there are better sources available. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. In today's episode, we are back again with our How to Train Your Mind series covering movement or how to move well. This may seem counterintuitive to some. How does moving the body help people train their minds? As with many aspects of training the mind, being able to move well allows you to build awareness of the body and by extension, the mind when you're not in a training environment. From my own experience, I found that as a beginner, there is a resistance when training the body is not accustomed to those movements. As you gain experience, the active movement can become more internal in the sense of how nuanced the feeling of that movement is. A movement practice also becomes a place that you can push yourself to failure that is, for the most part, safe. For me, moving well allows me to become comfortable with failure at a personal level, but still be able to try again. Let's zoom out and look at how movement has become disincentivized in our daily routines. Much of our time in the developed world, we are stuck in a stationary positions. At work, sitting at our desks, sitting in meetings, sitting in our car. The S word has become reported as being analogous to smoking in the plethora of negative health impacts and have continued to proliferate. By limiting exposure to a broader range of movement, we have lost an essential awareness of our bodies. Get out of your head and into the body is one of the quotes that shows why movement is so vital. In the modern world, being stationary allows our mind to wander and at its worst, ruminate. But when you start moving, your mind has no choice but to be connected to where your body is. Movement is one of the best ways we have to pattern interrupt and even a gateway to other aspects of training the mind. From my own journey, which we will be examining for the majority of this podcast, movement has been a major catalyst in allowing me to explore all areas where it comes to mindset. My fascination with moving the body has not been a lifelong endeavor. It is a relatively recent addition to my path and has facilitated so much of the growth I've experienced, but that comes later. For now, let me back up. I can say that my dad probably would have loved if I had joined sports at a young age. For whatever reason, it did not capture my interest at all. I've always was much more enamored in video games and eventually technology and science as a whole. To longtime listeners, this is no surprise. As I grew up, I tended to see my lack of physicality as a negative because when you spend so much time in your head, you can't share with others what you care about as easily. I would look at my peers and see them do things that I thought I'd never be able to do. It wasn't for not wanting to try. I would try to learn how to run faster. But it, to me, it seemed people just had a gift for it. I told myself I was not that person with that gift. In high school, not much had changed in my perception of myself. The school year starts, 
and a few of my friends had joined football, the football team. And for some unknown reason, they talked me into walking onto the team. The coach of the B team let me join as well. I had no idea how these events occurred. And yet here I was, 5'2 and 110 pounds, playing high school football for the first time I had ever played any sport. And the first exposure to weightlifting, from this point forward, I still saw people I was never going to be like. One thing that did come alive in me, though, by following through with this, is my sense of responsibility. I had committed to finish the season, and I had tried as hard as I could. The coaches saw something in me and put me in weightlifting gym for my sophomore year, even though I did not want to continue my athletic career beyond that season. For the remainder of high school and my first years of college, my ideas of movement would stagnate. Fast forward until the age of 21. My friends had either gone off to college or joined the military. I had been working and paying my way through school. We all know that you have to be physically fit in the military and had joined into some PT before my friends had left. But then something different happened. Jordan Chris came home for the holidays. He started weightlifting in college and he had put on a lot of muscles. In an offhand comment, he says, I should try that. And it seems like something I would really like. At this point, I made an excuse about how I move a lot at work and I didn't have time for all of that. But all the same, it planted a seed. If it's not apparent already, I have been to be as well-rounded as possible. At this point in my education, I was in an excellent position for my age. I had become a technician. I was finishing my education in parallel. So naturally, I started looking at my coworkers and seeing who they were and what they did. I saw what sitting behind a desk for a few years does to the body. They eat a few too many bagels, complain of back pain, and being tired all the time. I began to think, if this is what being 30 has in store for me, I don't want to be like that. I took it one step further. I thought, at 21, if I can figure out how to make a habit of working out now when I'm busy with school and work, then I would be able to keep that habit once I finished. From there, I made a vision for myself that I wanted to have the ability to play with my kids one day. Not being too tired or have pain in places I shouldn't, I only can say this reflecting on this period of time now. In May of 2014, I woke up one day and decided today was the day to join a gym. The only other change I made considering diet was I stopped drinking pop. Up until that point, I had been drinking around six cans of pop a day. While by no means was I obese, but I wouldn't have considered myself healthy either. From that point forward, whenever I had a spare moment, you could find me sifting through bodybuilding.com, to understand how the science of building muscle through weightlifting worked. I would read anything from lifting programs to what the muscle tissue is doing when you feel sore. I devoured it all, and the best of it, I could go and apply it. When I would read something new or I wanted to try a new exercise, I could take it to the gym. Real-life experimentation. And I wanted to emphasize a point here. When you have any preconceived notion about what a specific area is like, the best thing to do is drop those assumptions. This is what allowed me to walk into the gym at all. Sure, I remembered high school football and what I could do then. That had been a long time ago. So I gave myself a clean slate. I started at ground zero and I built up my knowledge base for myself. I did not base my opinion on what I could or could not do by what others were doing. The only time I looked at others was to learn if I was doing something with correct form. Beyond that, I tried to keep my ego in check. In short, I did for movement at this point, it was through weightlifting in the form of bodybuilding, was allow myself to apply my interest in the science and the idea of what it means to work out effectively. I did not keep the assumption of meathead Neanderthal as it is commonly characterized. About two months into my training, I had another realization. Since I had been doing bodybuilding style workouts, there was a chance I would get sucked into the vein chase to look a certain way. 
So I wanted a longer term goal to keep focused on the functional aspects of working out. For me, I wanted working out to train myself to do things I had never been able to do before. One of my first thoughts I had was to do a Tough Mudder. Tough Mudder would be about a 10 mile course with obstacles entirely unlike anything I had ever thought to attempt. I had never run more than a mile and getting comfortable being dirty felt like its own challenge. The other bonus, this is all built around teamwork and helping others get to the finish line. The last piece of this was that it was exactly one year to the day I started going to the gym. This was the perfect goal for me to reach for. And the best part of it, I had no clue if I could pull it off, but I was going to figure it out. Over the fall and winter, I dove headfirst into learning how to get as strong as I could. Then, once the weather started to warm up, I began to focus on increasing my endurance and losing some of the bulk I had put on over the summer. I wasn't focusing too much on diet yet. I had given myself a pass for the most part because I know that when creating any new habit, when you change too much too fast, you're more likely to fail early. So by spring, I'd put an extra 25 pounds that my body had not become used to carrying around. In the beginning, I had weighed about 140 pounds and ended up 165 pounds. When I began training endurance aspects of Tough Mudder, there was one significant speed bump. I had never run more than one mile. I had no idea what it was like to run more than one and let alone could I even manage at least 10. A daunting task to say the least. Before I could get outside and run, I started spending my time running a mile on the treadmill at least three times a week. Then in the spring, I got an opportunity to see what a multiple, multiple mile run felt like. I signed up for my first ever 5k. The week before the run, I decided to do a three mile run as a trial on the treadmill. The pace was slow, and the only thing that mattered was that I made the distance. Distance running turns into a mental exercise rather quickly. When your calves begin to burn, and you don't want to keep going, but you have to dig deep and keep going anyways. That's what I did, and my legs were more sore for the next three days than they'd ever been. And I didn't know how the 5K would go, but I knew I had prepared as much as I could. At least I would was able to finish. The events takes place, and something happened being put in an environment with other people around me that allowed me to tap into another gear. I finished the 5K with astonishment. Here I was, never thought of myself as a runner or athlete in any way, but I did it. I remember checking my pace and practically fell over. I had a mile time of 8.30 up until this point. I had never run a mile under about a 10 minute pace. And now I had run three with a minute and a half less per mile. I could do a multiple mile run. I had set that as my low watermark. And if I could run at least three miles comfortably, then I would make it the 10 for Tough Mudder, even if I had to walk at the end. I knew I could make it. But until then, I had two months of deep training, and I began to ramp up my training to the outdoors since Tough Mudder is outside. One thing most people don't talk about is that running on a treadmill is very different than running outside. Your pace on the treadmill versus the road are two different things. And from this point forward, it was the final push until Tough Mudder. At this point, I convinced a few of my friends to go with me to Tough Mudder. Well, I would have gone on my own regardless because I bought the ticket well in advance. This helped me push to get to the event and show up with my friends. Building a community has always been a strong idea for me and sharing an event such as this with my friends was a high watermark. Now that I'm reflecting on this, the experience, I can't remember much of the actual event itself. I remember more about the preparation for this than actually being there. At the event, it was much less stressful than I had envisioned. Of course, there was nervousness, anticipation, but I felt ready waiting at the starting gate and having the pep talk. Tough Mudder is not about your time. Tough Mudder is about being your best and getting to the end. Tough Mudder is about helping others be their best too. I was right where I was meant to be. And with that, we were off straight into the mud. And it's funny how in modern society, we spend much of our time being clean. And here we were paying money to get covered head to toe. 
It is honestly a freeing experience. As the event rounded the first stretch, it became clear that the endurance would not be a huge issue. It was still hard to keep pace with my group at times because I had not learned to pace myself well yet, but the obstacles themselves act as small breaks to keep energy levels going. The hardest part about Tough Mudder was the weather. Our start time was about 11 a.m. in the middle of May. So when we had started, it was still warm enough that you didn't need a jacket, but nearing the end, the temperature began to drop as our energy was drained not to mention being covered in mud, leaked even more body heat. To borrow from the military, we all we could do to get to the end was embrace the suck. I crossed that finish line and the finisher beer never felt so refreshing. As we drove home, the exhaustion set in. I had never been so tired or thankful for a shower in my life. Here I was, yet again, smashing assumptions I had had of myself. What got me there was the commitment to do them. I gave myself a target and made sure I hit the mark. Everything I've described, training for Tough Mudder, was only about a year's worth of my process and adding movement to my routine. After completing Tough Mudder, it could have been easy to say, I've checked the blocks. I proved I could do it. But that's not what this is about. There is never an end. If you ask me how healthy I've felt since I've started, my statement would be, I've never felt any better than I do right now. That's the point. It means I'm continuing to grow and learn how best to train. The other part of this that I want to highlight is that motivation is not constant. At times, movement may have to take a back burner, but that's where the framework and short-term goals come in. Allowing yourself to have a framework that removes the cognitive resistance to get movement in. For instance, during my last semester of school, I had to complete my senior design project. As the project neared completion, I had to spend a lot more time getting it done while balancing my job. Taking the time to get movement in was necessary for my well-being. And one tool we can use here is called the Eisenhower Decision Matrix. And there'll be a graphic in the blog post that you guys can check out and use for yourself. But here's a quote. What's important is seldom urgent. And what is urgent is seldom important. Dwight D. Eisenhower. This quote and graphic can help prune things that eat up your time that have little impact on what you want to get done. When you say you don't have any time for something, it's worth analyzing what you're saying yes to that's not important to you. Ask yourself how you can limit those activities. This will free up time to allow you to commit to what you value. The quadrant you should be looking to maximize is the important but not urgent. It's not always going to be fun or easy to get yourself to do something, even if you know it's good to do it. By attaching deeper meaning or even fulfillment, it allows you to circumvent instant gratification. Now back to movement. I've made movement important to my value system and at least my weekly routine. So making the time to put in 30 minutes, four to five days a week, keeps me on track. This doesn't mean I'm going in and training for a marathon. I'm training for longevity and fulfillment. I want my body to be a well-honed, as well-honed as my mind. They are linked, and what affects one will affect the other. As I age, I want to keep the blade sharp on both edges. This is a more refined version of the vision that I had when I set down this path. Finally, we get to wrap this up and take it home. My story here isn't something that's supposed to be glamorous. What it's supposed to show is how mindset is everything. When you have a fixed mindset, you create barriers within yourself that are not truly there. Whatever preconceived notions you have about yourself, I challenge you to think deeply about them. What do you think about yourself? Is there proof of this? If not, have you tried? And I mean, apply yourself as my dad would tell me as a child. Again, whenever attempting anything new, 
give yourself two weeks as training wheels. And if you don't feel anything, then it's safe to say it's not for you. As for movement though, there's always a low watermark to hit. Hence why I've called this movement rather than working out or training. What I do now is training and movement. Here's a good minimum. Two and a half hours of moderate cardiovascular exercise per week, two hours of strength training per week. For more information on cardiovascular loads, check out this link at the Mayo Clinic. My current workout routine is much a high, very much a hybrid program. I believe kettlebells are the most versatile workout tool we have available. It can be used to target almost any muscle, both in a static and dynamic load. The other part is that it provides you with the unique accessory for stability that is crucial for joints such as the shoulder that generally have a hard time being activated in rather regular strength routines. In a future blog, I'll go into deeper thoughts on how I use kettlebells effectively. My general format for a week is dividing my strength routine into push, pull, and legs. Three main categories. I've also now incorporated yoga into my routine a few times a week. Dynamic stretch and the counterpart to the strength training. Where strength training is about contracting and pushing, the yoga is about lengthening and releasing that tension that is built. All of this, these categories play into each other as I was saying before about keeping the mind and body sharp. There are facets to movement as well. If any of these pique your interest your, or your curiosity, become an information sponge. Watch videos on yoga, try them, buy a kettlebell and start swinging it with good form though. And if that is too intense, take a walk around the neighborhood and put on a podcast. The opportunity to move is endless. And if you do anything at all, try to move about 15 minutes a day to get the blood moving. And it doesn't matter what it is. And now it's time for me to stop talking and get moving myself. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's, a, that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.